You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Parama. Hello, this is Parama. And in this episode, Saya and I talk about how Saya is watching Goblin. Uh, was watching Goblin. This episode was recorded sometime in late 2021. And we go over our love for this drama, some problems that we've had with this drama that we try to confront and realistically deal with, even as we enjoy the story on multiple rewatches. <laughs> so join us for this episode. At some point, we may have promised you a part two, but I don't think that's forthcoming. So treat this episode as a complete one and we hope you enjoy this wild yak. Thank you as always to our listeners and all our patrons and I'll see you inside the episode. This episode is also brought to you by Kensington's newest title, The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes. In 1920s Ecuador, a young chocolatier from Spain must impersonate a man to claim her birthright after her father's death leaves his cacao estate in the hands of her half-siblings. Captivatingly lush and threaded with suspense, the Spanish daughter draws from the real-life history of its setting, a cacao farm near Vinches in Ecuador's coastal region. Known as the birthplace of cacao, this small town became the epicenter of the 19th and early 20th century cacao boom. Lorena Hughes drew additional inspiration for the Spanish daughter from the shamefully forgotten life of a Spanish woman named Maria Purificación García. Though she was responsible for developing the cacao bean roaster in 1847, a revolutionary invention that ultimately introduced chocolate to the world, little is known about this innovative woman. Hughes resurrects her in the Spanish daughter as the grandmother of her protagonist, Puri. Weaving a thread of suspense with the history of her native country and inspiration sparked by a remarkable woman who was written out of history, Lorena Hughes tells a story as necessary as it is captivating, about identity, family secrets, heritage, resilience, and of course, the irresistible allure of chocolate. You can find The Spanish Daughter by Lorena Hughes wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. So I have set Barma down so I can talk Goblin at her <laughs> because I realized this is a drama that uh, we had when it was airing and we were watching it, we had not yet begun podcasting. So this aired in December, yeah. it started in December 2016 and it ran all the way to the end of January of 2017. Uh, and we started the podcast a few months after that. So we just missed this. <laughs> true, true. And also for some reason at that point, our biggest concern was weightlifting fair <laughs> <laughs> And not yeah. Goblin at all. <laughs> I think it was freshest in our minds, which probably was the reason. Yeah. Yeah. No, but also Goblin just felt too big at the time. Like we hadn't like figured out our thoughts quite yet. I remember being in a bit of a confusion. Like I really loved the epicness of it. And I just didn't know what to like, what to say if we were to sit down and discuss it. It didn't feel it didn't feel manageable enough to discuss at that point now mm. with like five more years yeah. four or five more years <laughs> we have plenty yeah. to say at this point we have had time to think things through yeah 
I have to say, I've never not had things to say about this drama. I think it was just a time thing. And like, if you're going to talk about a drama that we missed the timing for as well, like Crash Landing on You, which all of us watched and all of us loved. And we somehow have all not... All of us wanted to yeah, do a and, spoil But yak. then like time passed and we were busy with other podcast duties and, you know, doing our regular episodes. And it's like, it's one of our regrets that we hope to go back to one day when, like, if we rewatch the drama or anything, because as time goes by, the like your memory of the details fade so it's harder to talk about so even though it's been five years <laughs> what I have been doing is <laughs> let me rewind a little bit so I got invited to a sleepover with my friend who I have not seen for so long and she's my very dear close friend and I was like okay but and I like I'm really bad at sleeping over I'm like I will stay until 3 a.m but I will want to come home because the only place I can sleep is my own bed right <laughs> so I was like okay if I'm sleeping over we are watching something and I've been trying to make her watch like <laughs> drama for so many years and this friend we've been friends since I was like 15 and we have like a large part of our early friendship was going over to each other's or me going over to her house because she had her own room and I didn't um and watching stuff together so we've watched a ton of things together but not anything in the last 10 years and it was all in English at that time so I wanted to kind of uh, recapture our teen selves and just like, let's watch something together. Let's have a sleepover. Let's not sleep until 3 a.m. except we're old and we'll fall asleep at midnight. <laughs> so in putting together, I even bought like a, a whole fresh new flash drive so that I can give drama to her. <laughs> That's dedication. <laughs> right. So I was sampling like my favorites. And you know, when you're sampling dramas and you're trying to do it through the eyes of someone who's never watched it before, and suddenly the dramas that you find perfectly acceptable are like, uh, I don't think I'd give that to a newbie. So I was going through like, oh God, so many dramas. And like the list of dramas that I was offering for sampling just kept getting longer. And I was like, no, 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 stop. Stop. Like, you've chosen 10. That's more than enough. <laughs> so then I just accidentally ended up watching, rewatching the first episode of Goblin. And after I watched the first episode, you know where that, the, by the way, everybody, this is 100% spoiler filled. So if you have not watched Goblin and you do not want to be spoiled, just click out. Don't listen to this. And if you haven't watched it and you have no intention of watching it, welcome. <laughs> um, so you know how the first episode ends with that moment, you know, the, the backlit walk and the just everything. How can you not then click onto the next episode after that? So I clicked onto the next episode after that. And like before I knew it, I was like on episode five or something. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm actually rewatching this, aren't I? Because I've done a lot of sampling one episodes and then putting the show away, even if it's like interesting enough. And now I'm on episode seven, because a few days ago I said to Barma, <laughs> by the way, after we record <laughs> the WhatsApp, can I do a, a wild yak with you about Goblin? So then I was like, oh, maybe I should watch some more. Maybe I should get myself up to the midpoint. So I tried, but I didn't quite get there. I'm at episode seven now. So I have, I have so many thoughts. Because, you know, once time passes as well, you have... <sighs> The way you view dramas obviously has changed over time and the way we view dramas after the way that we talk about them. Like, not only would it naturally have changed, but there are things that stand out so much more to me now that clearly did not in 2016. Like, even things that I thought were mildly like, ah, well, I'm not so sure about that. You know, it's a dubious point. Now I would watch some of those things and be like, oh, God, that's not okay. <laughs> and yet... 
And yet, I cannot say I do not love the drama. It is still so good. Okay, so yeah. I have, like, do, do you have any thoughts before I sort of dive into my list of a billion points? I I, I, I just want to agree with everything you said. Like, in 2016, I watched Goblin and loved it so much. Even the problematic bits, I, I thought them through. I hesitated, but I can't say that I gave up on the drama because they struck me as super problematic. Mm-hmm. I simply did not feel that way about it. It's it's like I could justify, like I could believe the drama's justifications mm-hmm. and also it's pure intent. And I, okay, so, so to stop being vague since we are being super spoilery yeah, absolutely here. absolutely spoil it. You're basically talking about the huge age gap between the main leads and the fact that the heroine for the large part of the drama is basically an 18-year-old schoolgirl. And you have absolutely a romantic relationship, even though it's not like an intimate relationship, but it's still like a romantic cohabitation relationship between this 800-year-old goblin. And 939 years old. Oh, I, yes. I beg your pardon, 900. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say it like that, it sounds so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but but here's the thing: the reason Goblin just it de- doesn't hit you like that, like the the age doesn't hit you like that, is because of the way a story is told. Right? You don't immediately see the real life social parallels because you see this as a fantasy where unique and 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 magical things are happening and therefore it's separate from real life separate from how things would go down in real society in real society a 40 year old guy for instance would not be like if he's trying to date an 18 year old no mm. audience is going to see that and be like oh wow this is romantic just you won't we would justifiably be outraged even as a viewer watching a drama. Mm. I mean, our reaction to Backstreet Rookie tells you a lot. Yeah. Um, Although in that, not even going to the in that case, stuff, like, but... the actress herself was very young. Kim Yoo-jung was very young. I mean, she's over 20, True. but she's also like, in comparison, it just felt a bit more icky because she's just basically reached majority. Kim Goon is a, it, a decent yeah, amount older. The, 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 meta, yeah. the meta situation is, yeah. But coming back to Goblin, at that point, one of the main reasons Goblin didn't feel icky in that way was because of how almost cartoonishly innocent their relationship mm, was. Yeah. And also how the themes of life and death and like hundreds of years of magic and tragic past mm. was just explored in a really and the actual romantic relationship that was really emphasized was the second leads and that was a mature adult relationship so it's you know all of those things come together to create a drama that you can absolutely watch and love and not realize that there are certain themes that maybe needs to be discussed more mm. so like the first thing that really stood out to me as I watched this was like her schoolgirlness. I was like, wow. That stands out to me now in a way that I'm not sure it did before. Like, yeah. I feel like I accepted it quite naively and at face value before without thinking of it in terms of production choices or direction choices. And now when I think of the environment like outside the frame, it really makes me question why they thought this was the best expression of her character or like the necessary context of her history and backstory. And I remember you observed a while back about uh, when we were talking about the king, about Kim Goon and the way she modulated her voice to to mm. be that sort of that anime schoolgirl schoolgirl character. And when you start noticing it, you can't not notice it. And it's yeah. like it is there, but there like there is a but. And like she has many 
the the way her character is portrayed it has many saving graces like in her defense she's not a passive character like mm. even though she conceives of being the dokibishimbu the um goblin's bride as her right. fate it's not a fate she'll helplessly fall into like she calculates and like strategizing might be putting it a bit strongly but she's not an open book like she holds back while she figures out the endpoints of her various paths and mm. like she takes all of these things into account when she's making her moves and each next move is quite a carefully decided one for her you can separate her moments of um again strategy is putting it strongly but her moments of intention you can separate that from her moments of uh impulse for example the um the reveal that she can see the sword and she was able to see that from the first time she met she saw him yet she holds that back from him for quite a long time and what i find really interesting in that is that like she doesn't intend to derail her own plans for her life she has plans for her life and like you know she wants to be a radio pd and she's always working towards her goals and you like you see a lot of her studying you see her working you see her searching for jobs you see her attending school like she's incredibly industrious and it's not in a plucky way like there's so much mm. grind in it like she's not the candylicious heroine that she could be in a different drama like her poverty her abuse the bullying and the lack of opportunities none of that is romanticized like her plucky bright front is revealed to be you know just that it's no more than a front for this like sadness that she's always carrying around inside her while she's trying to live her best life despite her meager means And the other mm. thing that really stood out to me and I was thinking about this because we were talking about another drama where there was a oh <laughs> right we were not talking about it so as I've also mentioned previously I've discovered video essays on books okay and back when I was into these particular books or like reading books more than I watched dramas there were not like video essays were not a thing So I've been watching a lot of like Twilight video essays and they're just they're so interesting and one of the criticisms that they bring up and because in terms of like the particulars this like effectively immortal like elder being person and this fragile human girl that like the Edward Bella dynamic and obviously like none of these arguments are new or surprising but one of the central criticisms of Bella as a character is that she has nothing but edward in her life like her entire life is edward and she also mm. doesn't have any other friends and like she doesn't have a girlfriend she she just has this like harem of boy like her harem of two boys <laughs> but that's all she's got and so when you contrast not just goblin but other dramas as well but um, because we're talking about goblin now if you contrast jintak to bella they're just so different like untak yeah. has friends she's not this lone girl surrounded by a bunch of preternatural men she has other people she can turn to she has this trustworthy female figure in her life like sunny and she connects with her right at the beginning they don't give her sunny late in the drama they give her right at the beginning and sunny has her back literally immediately and the friendship that mm. she uh, i haven't got to this point in the drama yet in this rewatch but i remember when i saw the character i remember that it comes up that she develops a friendship with the girl in her class and she's got the ghosts uh, who are like you know they may not be alive but they're pretty good friends so she's not this sort of lone sheep figure that's ripe for being picked off by these powerful ancient men beings so there's a lot of equalizing despite 
the power of uh, like Goblin and of Grim Reaper, despite the power that they ostensibly have over her, they don't actually have uh, control over her. If that is a distinction that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Especially because you have the whole cohabitation situation yeah. and she's basically begging for protection yeah. and like a place to stay. And because she has nowhere to go. She has nowhere. She's literally homeless. And that can put her in such a vulnerable position. And in some ways, there are things there that I do find uncomfortable. Like, for example, when uh, uh, Gong Yu's character, when he's like really passive aggressively weird with her. And he has these moments mm. where he's very like... Again, I want to I would stop short of saying that he's capricious, but he's sort of on the road to caprice. Like there are times He's a goblin though. Yeah. But see, the, also like the, <laughs> I, as I'm watching this, I'm sort of pulling out a lot of parallels with Doom as well. Like one of the great mm. things about Doom and I'm only like eight episodes in there as well is that you have these two characters uh, like Pak Boyang and Soengook who are constantly and always always like talking to each other they're like always honest in a very brutal way like there's no dissembling between them and that's one of the mm. things that makes their relationship have a lot of impact and it's not quite the same in Goblin because like it, with uh, Shin he holds back for example he doesn't tell her really what will happen like when she pulls the sword out so he tells her oh mm. I'll become pretty so she thinks she doesn't know that that will cause him to die if she pulls it out. But then you understand why he can't share that with her. Um, so wait, why was I saying that? Oh, right. About the so, so he's having his own sort of internal emotional turmoil. But again, saving graces is that it doesn't extend. He has these like flashes of them. It's not like a, a prolonged period of what would amount to emotional abuse. And mm. like he has his moments and then they sort of have a blowout and they yeah. like they yell everything at each other. And then like, you know, yeah. the option is here. <laughs> and it's like, OK, um, so like you have that. And then, yeah, see with the romance, I'm, I do feel that they could have saved that romance for later. And like there's this one scene, I think it's in episode, it is in episode seven, where she finishes her finals, uh, her final exams. And she's like, she wants to go to the cinema with <laughs> Doc Kibby to see the movies. And she goes in her school uniform. Why do you need to do that? Take the girl out of her school uniform. Unless, unless the point is that you want to emphasize she is a schoolgirl. He is an ancient being. I think they did want to emphasize that from everything from her voice to her mannerisms, because when she they have that 10 year skip and she's a grown woman, her mannerisms become less exaggerated. I don't know how yeah. To, yeah. Her her smile, everything becomes a little more mature. Yeah. And it's not I have rewatched this drama a couple of times <laughs> at this point. I can say this with absolute certainty. Kim Go Yoon changes the way she portrays this character, you know, between a schoolgirl and a and a mature young woman. And the thing is, I think the drama really wanted to emphasize that youth when Yontak is 18, because mm. it's in that, I think at least... I think I they think, wanted to emphasize her innocence, which you pointed out before. Innocence and also... Uh, a kind of like it's a moment of like she is at that age where she is naive she's innocent but she's also really clever mm. but she has no experience of the world but she's also trusting and magic makes sense to her she's mm. always seen ghosts yeah. she's in a very peculiar stage where cynicism hasn't set in 
so her being able to deal with the goblin almost as if she is living a fairy tale is kind of possible at that age yeah. without it without the cynical adult mind kicking mm-hmm. in constantly yeah that's true so emphasizing her youth if that is what you're trying to portray in a character and i kind of think that was the mm. mood they were going for makes a lot of sense it's just outside the context of the drama when you yeah. think of larger yeah. world and you can't avoid thinking of yeah. larger world context you really can't on. you really can't I think at the time I just decided not to because I wanted yeah, to enjoy so the I. drama <laughs> so absolutely did I however I think you know what my problem was my problem wasn't there emphasizing the the youth and all of that stuff I had problem with one very particular moment of this drama it's when Kimshin realizes that he's in love with her and she's just jumping uh, on the yeah. street like a little kid with something that even an 18 year old would never do mm. um and I'm like this they are not just emphasizing her innocence they are just really real like the what it's as if he's fallen in love with that stage of her life it's not the person it's the child in her and that really really rubbed me but wrong but i also yeah. feel that like if we're going to say that where that the show is emphasizing her innocence i think the show also emphasizes his like i think at that moment what he falls in love with is not necessarily her but yeah like you said the time in her life but i i feel like it's more that it represents again innocence i mean so I've got a note about this particular part, which is it happens at the end of episode four and the beginning of episode five. So this like the Chosarang Yotta, you know, it was first love. That realization scene is like, well, firstly, it's really beautiful, like a very like emotionally beautiful, not visual. I mean, it is visually beautiful, but it's an emotionally really beautiful scene. And yet there's this sort of mid 30s slash 939 year old man and a high school girl. And that feels like an entirely unnecessary choice. And that image of her, like you say, it's like it's so holy schoolgirl. And yet you can feel what he's feeling, I think, because like the gaze of the drama at that point is like it's it's from his point of view, like this sort of a yearning for something lost or something that is precious because it's just so new and innocent I don't I don't I mean I'm listening to myself and I'm like this doesn't sound right (laughs) no I I agree with you it does which is why the case of the drama is so important it comes on the handling of cinematography and writing Mm. we can absolutely argue that the writing and the cinematography was that good yeah that they could they could manage to get their point writing genuinely is so good like you know we always we talk about Kim and Sook with a sort of general side eye sometimes and quite cynical but we also we also always say this is that she writes some really amazing dialogue but apart from the dialogue what she's written here is I feel like it's emotionally so beautiful like this is the cream of writing in a drama what happens in Goblin despite Goblin Goblin (laughs) despite all of its problems there's so much beauty in the writing because there's so much like emotional truth in it I feel that it's and you know that's the thing with like fantasy dramas is that they're always about impossibilities like you don't you don't get to experience this kind of clash of feeling this particular possibility meeting impossibility in a normal drama because it doesn't happen in real life it's not possible in real life and like that's also like for example in time travel it's a similar kind of construction is that the point of these things is that you are allowed to fuse various impossibilities to become a question like the central question of the drama 
And then you can go anywhere with that. Like, you know, they even had some of these, like, there's a, when I'm watching this having watched Doom, I wonder, like, how much of Doom could have been inspired from a watch of Goblin. But also, these are themes and ideas and emotions that are common to any kind of drama with this basis of the elder being and the the young and innocent human, except in Twilight, which doesn't deal with that at all, except in a really, yeah, <laughs> we, we need to do a whole episode on Twilight one day. Um, so like they have, for example, there's a conversation where uh, Untak uh, asks uh, Shin, you know, Ajashi, do you love me? And he replies, I will if if you need me to. And then he says, Sarangya. And again, you know, you get these sort of Doom vibes, like that was very Doom-like. And, but then he, yeah. then like in where it diverges from Doom is that, you know, sometimes he just doesn't talk to her. She'll ask something mm. and he'll ignore her and he freezes her out and she hasn't done anything. And that makes you appreciate that the difference of the dynamic that they have set up in Doom. Which, which is a dynamic between a grown adult woman and, yes. and uh, yes, yeah, that's he's also fair. an elder being, mm. but he treats her like an equal, yeah. like mentally equal. Yeah. However, I, here I have to point something out. This is a dynamic that I really enjoy in Doom. Mm. And the drama that I was previously comparing Doom unfavorably with, which is My Roommate is a Kumiho, mm. completely, completely does not do well. My Roommate is a Kumiho creates... Okay, when it comes to the creation of an elder being, I think Roommate is Gumiho does a really good job. Like the whole history of it, like the the person feels like an elder being where I think Soingo's character in Doom doesn't feel like he's has lived an eternity. He feels like he's this really sad god <laughs> who woke up like 20 years back and has just been really sad since. And the thing is, I don't care. I just really <laughs> like the whole, yeah. I, just, I just like the drama for what it yeah. is. But as far as creating an elder being goes, I think Roommate is Gumiho does a better job. However, the romantic relationship kicked in in the last two episodes this is episode 9 and 10 and since then it has been guilty of every problem that an elder being dating a a very young human woman could possibly be accused of Mm. in that he doesn't tell her when she's in real danger like there were several episodes where she was basically being stalked by this creature and he was protecting her without ever telling her that she was in danger like dude if someone that's is very Edward Bella, right? That, that's what I yeah. thought of. Like he's literally just following her around while she's going from college to like after school studies. Does he also watch her sleep? Thankfully, no. That's like the though there was just this one episode where I think he kind of <laughs> briefly was, but it's if, if she was sick, it was not a creepy watching thing. Never mind. I don't even know if, why I'm excusing <laughs> him because I'm seriously displeased with this character right now. He doesn't tell her when she's in danger. More importantly, he doesn't give her crucial pieces of information. Mm. He doesn't tell her that the energy draining marble that's in her stomach is literally like making her unhealthy. Mm. Like he tells her very early, I think at the end of episode one, that if the marble stays in her stomach for like a year, she'll die. So she does know that. What she doesn't know is that he can take it out anytime he wants and he's just leaving it in because he needs to collect energy. Mm. He's just super duplicitous, but the drama doesn't tell you that he's duplicitous until like halfway through. And even then, they're still pushing him as the hero. Whereas really at this point, the drama should have turned and been like, he's a trickster. Mm. He was lying, but they don't do that. And also more horrifically, as far as I'm concerned, that the power dynamic here, unlike even in Goblin, the, the... 
Kim Shin, as you said, had a childishness to him, mm-hmm. which made like him dealing with Yuntak was didn't feel that creepy because he was almost just as as much of a kid as the kid living in his house. So these were two kids dealing with each other, except one of the kids is like a nine hundred <laughs> plus, you know, goblin. Yeah, but here. The elder being, which is Shin Buyo, I forget the actor's Jung name. Jung Kyung. Jung Kyung. Jung Kyung has always been this very elegant adult who's been cultivating his mind for like a thousand years and all <laughs> of that. And he and he's like, despite his gorgeousness, he exudes that elegance, and he's like really learned and all of that stuff. What I was enjoying in the first half of the drama was that Harry's character, which is Idam, treats him with respect, like he's an elder, calls him Orushin, and that worked because the dynamic was exactly like she's a she's basically like a pupil to him. That's their dynamic. He's a teacher, she's a student. That was the dynamic, respectful. Mm. So as soon as you turn this into a romantic relationship without ever having dealt with their relationship, like their age disparity and the power disparity, he's a magical being who can literally take on the guise of one of her friends and basically get secrets out of her. He he's done that in a scene recently. I am just so boiling mad at how they are doing. It's ah, uh, uh, it's just. I would recommend yeah. that our readers check out the video essay that you just posted. Well. By the time our listeners listen to this, it will be <laughs> a little older. But um, do you want to introduce the name of your video? Oh, um, I, yeah. Thank you. Sorry. I ended up titling it <laughs> Choosing Love Over Safety. However, my initial title, because I created it <laughs> in like this haze of anger, was My Gumiho is an A-hole. asshat. <laughs> <A-hole, yeah. laughs> Same difference. Um, I was like really, really enjoying this drama. So I, I wish they hadn't done this. The age thing really comes up. Yeah. The only saving grace in this drama, much like Yuntak, Idam is a character who thinks things through really well when she gets information. So she has agency. She has agency. However, she is vulnerable to manipulation mm. in that if you emotionally manipulate him by saying, I'm so sad if you stay away from me just because I'm dangerous to you, she'll be like, no, no, I will put my safety at risk and be with you because you're sad. Don't <laughs> she is young enough to be vulnerable to that yeah. manipulation. So she does have friends around her, but they are human friends who are ignorant of her mm. situation. So they aren't really people she can lean on. She needs a sunny. <laughs> she needs a sunny. She needs someone who's in on the know. Otherwise, they're seriously it's Although, not. We all need a sunny. Come on, how much? We do all we? need a sunny. Oh my god. <laughs> So going back to Goblin, actually you saying that reminded me of uh, a connection that I had forgotten about. So one of the ways that the character of Kim Shin is made deliberately complicated, and I feel that the drama actually sort of takes this head on, is if you remember like when he's uh, introduced to Dokwa when Dokwa's grandfather brings him to you know little Dokwa yeah exactly he brings him to to Shin and he's he's you know what's so funny okay I'm gonna say that afterwards but he he puffs up into his like not puffs up he becomes his solemn choreo general self and he's like yeah when Dokwa asks who are you and he's like now you know me as your Samchun and later I will become your young and then your son and then your grandson and it's actually it's it's actually a very solemn line and it's it's so interesting because in the sense that he is able to conceive of himself in all of those roles with the same person and I think if we 
apply that sort of in terms of Untak as well, because there's a lot of the early relationship where he's very fatherly. And yet it doesn't come off as, I mean, it doesn't come off to me as squicky, though I know it does to many others. But this sort of sliding between roles is something that is quite natural to him and that he doesn't have a problem being at once, like being the older one, being the younger one, being the one who is in the lower position versus being in the, like he's, he is able to fulfill all of those roles whether it's the role of uh, an uncle or the role of a friend or the role of a son and eventually the role of the grandson. And so I feel like in that they address the way that he's handled his long, long life and that he has the emotional range and capacity to go through all of those stages and he has done so many, many times. And that I feel is part of what makes his relationship with Untuk work. That in this initial period, there's quite a the obvious relationship where he's the elder, you know, the elder who's able to provide security and she's the younger one who is in need of it. But then as he gets to know her, that um, the way that he conceives of them becomes increasingly equalized. So she matures to him and he sort of dematures i don't i mean I, that's not entirely correct in that i mean i pr- probably don't need to get in too deep there but like there is an equalization that happens that even though they're not equal in the same ways they do come to be able to see each other sort of eye to eye <sighs> yeah but also i have to insert here for those who have not seen goblin or have forgotten what happens the reason we don't have to or at least I wouldn't accuse Goblin of, you know, any kind of grooming. Like when, a, you know, a mm. child grows into adulthood and starts perceiving this guy as a romantic partner because they've been grooming them to do so. Because they do have that lapse of like 10 years mm. where they have zero contact and she's completely forgotten about him. Her growth, her adulthood was not at all influenced by his existence. So it's it's not, they. there was a phase of her life when she was in the final year of a school where she knew this goblin. Then he disappears and then he reappears again when she's a full grown woman. She is um, an independent person, earns her own money, is no longer the Cinderella of her, you know, teenage years. So there is a whole lot more agency and, you know, mature thinking Mm -hmm. possible this time. So, yeah. And and I do agree with you that she does grow into him in that way. But it's an independent growing Mm -hmm. where like her growth is not with him in mind. It's not like, you know, she's trying to raise up to him. She becomes her in person. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just happens to bring her to a stage where they can meet if not as equals, but at least as people who can speak more openly and more maturely. Um, but I have to tell you, this is why the ending bothers me so much. Oh, yeah. I haven't got there yet. I mean, let's reconvene for let's, that ending. Let's, let's, yeah. There's one more thing I want to talk about before we wrap up, which is yeah. what a gift is the relationship between Idonguk and Gongyu in this drama. Oh my god, it's just, it's, why don't we get this more in dramas? Why? It's, oh, it's so good. Honestly, it's, it outshines every other relationship in this drama for me. Like, forget Untuck. I, I'm not invested in that, that relationship the way I'm invested in this one between Reaper and Goblin. Because it's yeah. just, oh, everything about it is so, oh, heart-wrenching and funny. God, they're such idiots. But they're also so, oh, you just want to, oh, it's just so good. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I when I watched this the first time, I have like reams and reams of my watching notes from the first time. I did not intend to have any watching notes for the second time. And yet here I am with a whole new set. And last night I was just, let me, <laughs> let me go and take a look at my old notes. They were like, they're totally different. They're so voluminous, yet the things that I'm remarking on now are completely different. There's like no overlap between my previous notes and my present notes, which is interesting about rewatching, isn't it? Because you've already gone through that sort of harrowing emotional process of the first time you watch a drama. And now you know the the beats that are coming because we talked about this in uh, one of our BTLs. So because you know those things, like the foreshadowing in it is so like of of Reaper's identity is so clear. I'm like, how did I not get this from like literally the first episode? It's all there. And like there's Because they kept doing uh, that thing where they would like show idols on the screen and they'd be like, which which one is he amongst the people we are seeing on the screen? The, the red herring there is just... Uh, and like there's these little details, like the way Reaper sleeps. He sleeps like he's entombed, like he's completely covered yeah. up with his arms crossed over his chest. And then like just their relationship is so... Like the friendship... It's a friendship before they know it. Like they're total enemies, you know. Uh, Reaper wants Goblin's house. And like... His little expressions, Ido's expressions are so good. Like the first time that uh, Untak is off to sort of pull out the sword and he's like, ah, like his face, he just lights up. He's like, I support you. <laughs> oh, it's just that the comedy of this show is exquisite. And it is. so is the emotion. And like, oh, like the sudden manic gleams either like the, the two men can get. Or like when they can't get into their house because they they don't know the Pimil Bono or the, the passcode <laughs> of the house because none of them ever neither of them ever use it. And oh, and the other thing is that because like I know a lot more Korean now than I did then, there's some of the stuff that is in the language which is just delightful. And I wouldn't have been able to pre- appreciate it in the same degree then. And it's just, it's so rewarding. Like the more you learn of the language, the more you are able to appreciate things like the wordplay and the, it's just so enjoyable. Uh, I have, like, I have a lot, like multiple mini essays about the relationship between them. Between all of them, like Idongwok and you and us, um, just, Listen, I'm so happy that they got to do a drama together, which is just yeah. like a silly, sweet <laughs> rom-com that was just so, so, it was so cathartic. I'm so glad yeah. that they did it. But this, their entire story here, like with three lifetimes, basically, like the the Goryeo, the, the pairing then with, um, I think it was Kim Min Jae playing the, yes. the Wang and... And I, who was playing the queen? Was oh Kim So Hyun, Kim So Hyun playing the queen. And yeah, it's just from that. Then meeting as the Grim Reaper and Sunny Sunhi, <laughs> it's just. And then meeting much later again. But you know what? The what I one of the. I mean, it helps to know that they had a third life where they met as just humans who fall in love. Um, but that second life where the ending was basically that they can't be together. She chooses it. Mm-hmm. And it's just because she can't forgive him and she chooses to live her life yeah. alone, pretty much. Oh, live so out good. her life, basically. Oh, Although, can we talk about that I when just, we... I mean, at this point, I'm like resigned to the fact that we are definitely reconvening our finish. 
<laughs> we are right. We are. We are. We are. We are uh, I don't. I don't see how we can. We can stop ourselves. And also, it's it's a good thing that we got a lot of our grouse out. <laughs> so many thematic elements that we can talk oh, about. I'm just. I'm looking at my essays and I'm like my mini essays. I'm like, should I? Should I? Like, I don't know. Write these up properly. Like, okay. So one of the things that. Like Kim Goan is a heroine, right? Mm-hmm. She's so smart and she's so resourceful. And like that's not the only thing that she's got going for her as a heroine. Because she's like she's offered as this counterpoint to some of Kim and Suk's previous heroines, like um Pakshinin Ayers, but also like the elder beings that she's surrounded by. And because I we talked about this a little bit earlier about how she's not diminished by them, but her presence reveals their flaws and their failures. And it's not just, that's not the effect she has only on Goblin, it's the effect that she has on Grimm as well. So, mm. and and partly it's like the, the whole thing with the doorbell uh, and like they're so removed from being human and therefore they're yeah. so unused to thinking in mortal terms. Yeah. But despite that, they also have these enormous reservoirs of like total immaturity. Um, I don't know if that's, well, I mean, or perhaps that would be more accurate to say that they're, emotional maturation is incomplete because it was interrupted by their ascent to superhumanity. So, like, what's so delightful about these two characters, Reaper and Goblin, in this particular aspect is that their journey is like a rediscovery of their humanness. And, like, the two of them are, like, reaching out across this chasm, across a void to you know hold hands and it's a chasm that both like it separates them but it's also the way in which they are similar because both of them are these lonely elder beings who are so different from everyone else but yet their difference between each other is also so different so they're like both of them are these completely lone figures so you have this the sameness of their difference which is compounded by the differences of their difference if that makes sense <laughs> oh and it, it just oh it grabs you right in your hearty place it does and all their knife oh, fights yeah. in their but then also like you know this they have that whole reluctant proximity but they there's also like this slow burn emotional reliance on each other and this expectation yeah. of seeing each other on a daily basis, they borrow each other's things. And not just like little material things, but also they're sort of elder being things. Like there's this one yeah. point where Goblin asks for a favor from Reaper, where he wants yeah. to see off one of the people that he helped. So he takes his place in the mm. tea room. Yeah. So they have their petty little squabbles, but then they also have that. And it's like it's like the the comforting familiarity of the like, bickering and the like the enmity loses its bite in such a short time and like even as reaper is desperate to kill off goblin so he can have his house he's also really sad and he's pretending he's he's not (laughs) and then and also like throughout (laughs) he is actually protecting yuntak i mean Mm. he keeps threatening yuntak eh, every nine years but he's also giving her hints about what she should do to hide or like avoid that yeah and also like this is like there's so many funny little details in his character that i just find so entertaining so like you know how he calls Calls her Gita Norakja, like you know, the miscellaneously emitted person. Yeah. He doesn't just do this yeah. to her; he does that to everyone. He like he has a name for them. Uh, like, you, do you remember? Like, Jung Hain has a little special appearance in this drama. This is before he was uh, big. 
Um, and also, like Kim Go, uh, Kim Go and Jung In go on to co-star in the film. Uh, what is it called? Oh, oh, oppa, oppa. He, yeah, he yeah. was there as, as Yoon Dak Oppa. oppa yeah. Hey, oppa. <laughs> uh, what's the name of the film? In tune. I, I know what you're talking about, though. Um, I don't remember the name, but I know exactly oh, the movie tu- you're talking about. Tune in for love. Tune in for love. So they go tune on to love. star in that. Um, I guess their chemistry really worked. So when he meets Teyopa, he's like, oh, uh, you who is harsh in your speech. <laughs> and he refers to him as the person who is harsh in his speech. So he like, he'll take this little description and add ja on the end, which is like, you know, that's how uh, it's one of the ways of yeah. turning this thing, the person who does that thing. So the person who speaks harshly. And so he does this, and, like he does that with Sunny as well, you know, not Son He, but Sunny. And it's just, it's just one of those endearing little details. It's just so much thought went into making these characters. Oh, yeah. And it's just very, yeah, I think all of those that, things that's do. That's what makes it so hard to talk about this drama too. There is just so much to love yeah. that when you have to sit down and say, but yeah. this, this, it the almost is, hurts you. Yeah, it like it outweighs so many other things. Yeah, and 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 that hurts because it's a necessary but. Mm, but. Yeah, <laughs> but I honestly, I just whatever position people take on this drama, I I think that that's cool. Like if you can't yeah, watch well, it, exactly. That's I have valid. friends who cannot watch it, who just cannot. They do not find this premise acceptable. One hundred percent. Like I completely can see that. Like I even agree with it. Yeah. And then I feel a little like maybe I'm not quite right for being okay with. I mean, it's not that I'm okay. I'm okay with it in a drama context, purely in the drama. I hundred percent wouldn't be okay with this kind of thing in real life. But then this wouldn't happen in real life because you don't have dog kibbies in real life. So there's all of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have so much more that I can say about this drama, but I feel like at this point I need to stop. Other Otherwise, we will be here for yeah, the next yeah. 19 minutes. We, we should probably wrap up this <laughs> this thing that was supposed to be, what, under 30 minutes, but it's completely not. I'm I should sorry. also say <laughs> that we should not ignore the existence of those who started Goblin and just stopped because it, it, they, did not, they could not mm. get into it. I have a friend. She's watched other dramas that I've recommended. But we started Goblin and she started yawning like 15 <gasps> minutes through. Some people cannot be saved. <laughs> is all I'll say. Well, you know, that's so interesting because, like, when I was watching this for my friend, which is the reason why I started the whole show, as I said at the beginning, I was amazed at how much was packed into that first episode. Yes, it was 90 minutes. So, so was the second episode. Both of those episodes were 90 minute episodes. They were films. So like mm. they packed so much into it. But then also maybe yeah. I had the advantage of like knowing who everyone was. Because like that had not faded with time. So maybe... See, I, I don't think that's the reason. Because when I watched Goblin, I had watched Gong Yu in just Coffee Prince mm-hmm. and I had, did not have a favorable impression no, of as Gong in Knowing Gong who Prince. everyone was as characters. Because oh, that's something okay. that like, despite the fact that I have never rewatched it since I first watched it, apart from rewatching the last episode a couple of years ago and crying all the way through. Um, <laughs> apart from <laughs> that, it was so burned into my memory that 
it takes a while to go back to watch again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But in that way, it wasn't difficult to follow, but it might have been difficult to follow for a newbie watcher, I for, guess. For a completely new watcher, there are a couple of elements in the... Like, I look at Goblin's first episode and I'm like, this is so packed. There is no way they're mm. going to feel bored. But then from a newbie's perspective, when they start watching it, there is that whole Goryeo scene. And it's actually really slow, especially because I was watching with her and I was constantly judging. <laughs> I was judging her reaction. I'm like, my God, she's... Will she even get through the historical part to get to like the, you know, the yeah. modern day parts? And like it got to the modern day parts, and she still wasn't getting into it. And I'm like, well, this was the lost cause. Oh, it's just the wrong drama. That's for. that's a shame. Is it not yeah. her genre? Maybe. Uh, possibly, but she really enjoyed Queen and Huntsman, oh. so I'm now completely confused. <laughs> Well, sometimes the first episode is a hurdle because it's a new world. Yeah, possibly. And also that the fact that I am just like both of us, we read so many fantasies. Yeah. We are used to backstories and world kind building. of unrolling in yeah. this way and world building. Because the world building takes time. In this drama, you need like in this kind of drama, you always need mm. to dedicate a certain amount of the narrative to world building. You have to because yeah. you need to establish I mean, your even creatures. Even with like the, the grandmother um, the assumption. Uh, e, um, E L. Yeah, yeah. Sumption, I think, yeah, Sumption, yeah. yeah. So Sumption Harmony and the the God possessing Dokwa, who may actually be the God in this particular case. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there is that moment with the bridge crossing. Like it might seem like a totally random. Oh yeah, scene yeah. When they're passing each out other. Of context. Yeah. Yeah. But you need these kind of weird scenes put in there to for the foreshadowing yeah. these things later. For the foreshadowing, <laughs> yeah. for refer- the meta jokes would not make any sense without a- extensive world building. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay, we really need to save some stuff for the next time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll all, I, I feel like I you can sit me down all day and I'll be able to say things. But let's yeah. stop because it's basically been an hour. Whoa, that is true. <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for listening. This was a random episode we decided to do. And uh, join us again if you want to for when we talk about the second half and all the other things. So if you want to come and find us on social media, on Twitter, we are at Dramas Overflow. And you can follow me at Not Now Sire. You can follow me, Parama, at Festa Faster. You can find us on Instagram at Dramas Over Flowers underscore and on Facebook as Dramas Over Flowers. And if you would like to check out our website, it is dramasoverflowers.net. And you can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And that's it. Dun, Bye, dun. everyone. Bye. Wait, why did I randomly clap? <laughs> because this was meant to be 20 minutes. And instead, it's like 60. 